0: And welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. I am Tom. And I'm Big
1: Will, aka Uncle Buck. Tonight we got an interview lined up for you. That's right, and it's a phone interview. Yeah,
0: you know, because (laughs) we can't fit everyone down here
1: sometimes, you know? just goes that way but we got a really well, awesome if, dude calling in if i fit down here then i think a lot of other all right we're not gonna go there <laughs> we got john engman calling in all right so we're gonna stop the clowning around right now john engman is a uh death metal drummer many people know him from his work in Brodekin uh he's also been involved in several other projects and he's still doing percussion uh but in a kind of different way we're gonna get into all of it and uh we're gonna wait for him to call in let's, let's see if he calls up the line John? Yeah, yeah. Well, John, this is Will. It's nice to meet you over the phone. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, John, I just like want God. to quickly introduce you to Tom, my co-host. Hey, John. What's up? What's going on, Tom? Nice to meet you guys. Yeah, thanks for calling in, man. All right, so John, I um, you know, we do a little intro, and I tell the listeners a little bit about your musical background and some of the bands you've been involved in and things like that. But usually, just to, to start off, uh, I give like a little preliminary. So we wanted to ask you where where you're originally from. I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay, and uh, is, are you from like a musical background, a musical family?
2: Um. Well, as far as I know, um, my grandma actually did play drums in high school <laughs> on my on my mom's side, and the only other person in my family that played an instrument was my sister, um, and she played bass clarinet. <laughs> So other than that,
1: no. Um, Grandma doing drum you know, beats? Yeah, yeah. Back
2: in
1: the day. <laughs> wow. All right. um, was there ever a connection between your grandmother playing drums and your playing drums? Um,
2: no, because I didn't find out that she played drums until I was already well on my way playing drums. <laughs> so it was just like an odd coincidence. She just, you know, probably played like a bass drum or something in school, oh, like high school band. Or something.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, okay, but yeah. uh. That that's still it's an inter- interesting coincidence uh, though. Yeah, just a very loose relation there. So when do you start becoming aware of uh, music, and is it rock and heavy metal?
2: Um, well, you know, my parents were always always playing records when I was a kid, um, and you know, coincidentally, they kind of liked you know what I would consider some of the more odd stuff at the time. You know, um, they were always playing like yes the Moody Blues, Pink Floyd, like rock bands, but you know, rock bands that kinda had like, you know, King Crimson, stuff like that. I mean a little of more course there was
0: side, like Yeah, t- takes a but I more mean rap
2: um, yeah, Right. But you know, they also listened to stuff like, you know, like Santana and Carol King, uh Algerow, like they were all over the map. My dad was really into jazz as well. But it was like it was very mixed Bag, but there was constantly music playing. I mean, my dad was always playing records. So that's probably where I got most of my <laughs> subliminal influence as to, hey, I like music, you know.
1: And are, are drums the first instrument you pick up?
2: Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, really the only thing that I ever had interest in um as I was growing up, was just like for some reason I just knew I wanted to play drums. I had not but I always just had that um, inclination that you know I always listened to the rhythm and the drums and stuff like that. I mean, maybe being a, <laughs> a kid, you know, you like to be rambunctious and you know bash on things, be loud, whatever. But you know, yeah, it was always just drums from the get go. It wasn't until I started playing in bands. Um, like, you know, right around the high school years, freshman, sophomore, I think I started playing in my first bands. And it wasn't until then, until I actually first picked up a guitar and, you know, started branching off from there. As far as instrumentation, anyways.
1: And and at that point, is in like high school, is it heavy metal yet, or, or punk rock, or anything a little more extreme?
2: Um, I mean, I was already... I was already in, like, third, fourth grade, you know, walking to school listening to Metallica. Um, <laughs> Love it. I mean, because my parents would, you know, they were music fans, so, mm-hmm. you know, if my dad went record shopping, I went with him and he let me pick something out. So, you know, I was I was already well into music by the time I had played drums. Um, starting off with Giva you know, was my very first favorite band and then kind of... From there, I started hearing, you know, uh, Dead Kennedys and Circle Jerks and stuff like that because I used to skateboard. So at the skate park, Mm -hmm. they'd play punk rock. And then from there, I was just like, I like fast stuff. So you go down the path of, you know, Metallica to Slayer to Sepultura to Death to Napalm Death and then to just Oblivion (laughs) as far as, you know, that goes.
1: And by that time, there's no heading back. (laughs) Um, So, so, uh, like... Well, when, when, do you, when do you become aware of, like, the underground scene and that there's this, this type of metal and punk and type of music that's um, well, well beyond the, the commercial uh, music charts and commercial music industry?
2: Well, you know, being in Milwaukee, it was, it was pretty easy. Um, we had a really good metal store. Um, it was kind of like a closet of a normal record shop. And, you know, I'd go into the record shop and I'd see, you know, all the shirts on the wall, Slayer, Sepulterra, same sort of you know gateway kind of drugs to that stuff. But also, you got to keep in mind that growing up in Milwaukee, Milwaukee Metal Fest was always going on. Yes. So there was there was a healthy, you know, there was a lot of local bands. You know, when I was, man, I mean, I think I was just getting into middle school when I bought. Um, are you familiar with a Wisconsin band called Phantasm?
1: Am I ever, John? We could we could talk for yeah. a long, the abominable uh, uh, dubbed on the cassette tape was one of the very first things I ever got into. But go on, I want you to tell your story. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. I mean, it's a great release, oh. but um, I bought that. I think I was. I mean, I don't even think I was in middle school. Maybe <laughs> fifth grade. I bought the abominable. On cassette at uh, the local skate park, you know, I was like sneaking to listen to it because the intro far "Florida" is so mental sounding. I mean, like, I don't want my parents to hear this because they're already marginal, about yeah. me will be listening to Metallica and whatever.
1: But, was it the one? Um, was it the one with the intro where he's like, "When your life comes to an yeah, end"? The oh one. god! They, yeah, that, I, I heard that when I was maybe thirteen. I can only imagine hearing that younger. And, and making yeah, more of terr- an impression on me.
2: It absolutely terrified me. I yeah. was like, wow, all right, this is cool. <laughs> you know, and I, just just from the get-go, it was like anything that was, you know, fast. Yeah. So it was like, yeah. that, was, that was my, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just like, I don't really care what any of this sounds like, it's fast. You know, and it just kind of snowballed from there into that sort of obsession. So, yeah, I mean... And, you know, I was in high school, middle school, going to Milwaukee Metal Fest, seeing, you know, kind of the early stuff, yeah, quote-unquote. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it didn't, it didn't take me long to, get, you know, jump from, you know, watching Headbangers Ball a few times to going and seeing, you know, internal Lady at the rave or something. You know, it was like, it's kind of strange. Fast progression there.
1: Yeah, um, I I... I saw Milwaukee Metal Fest the year 2000 when I was 18, I, I went there, that was the only Milwaukee Metal Fest I made, um, and it blew my yeah. mind and left quite an impression on me. Being from uh, Milwaukee, could you talk a little bit just about some of the Milwaukee Metal Fest you attended, and the uh, the bands you saw, and the impressions they left on you?
2: Yeah sure, um, I think my first Metal Fest was, uh, what year did The Bleeding come out? Like ninety five and ninety six.
1: I think ninety six. Yeah, that that sounds right. It yeah, was, that was so. That was the first year I went to to Milwaukee Metal Fest. Okay,
2: wow. Because Cannibal Corpse was playing, and <laughs> you know, I I had bought Butchered at Birth because the cover was so mental. I was like, I have to have this. And then I just, you know, so I was around right when that came out, and that was kind of you know my first metal fest, and you know, obviously seeing Cannibal Corpse and. Um, you know, like I said, internal bleeding, sadistic intent. You know, I saw Hemdale like back in the day and that was like a wow moment. You know, I saw Cryptopsy, you know, all that stuff. The first, you know, the first um, time that Emperor came to the States, I was at, you know, I was in the front for that. Same thing with Enslaved Mayhem because I'm a big black metal fan as well. So, I mean, there was just so, so much you know, Broken Hope. Yes, 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 yes. All of peace, that stuff was it. just, you know, left to right hitting you in the face, like, mm-hmm. for, you know, <laughs> two days. Like, man. <laughs> so, just the, the main impression, I guess, there was no particular band, just the overall, like, this is all crazy, and I want to, you know, I'm obsessed with all of this. Mm-hmm. So.
1: And and besides Milwaukee Metal Fest, uh, tell me a little bit more about the local scene. Uh, you know, Milwaukee Metal Fest comes around once a year, but what was the what was the rest of the year like in Milwaukee for the local underground scene? Uh, and what 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 were the local bands? Maybe any people that you know that that ended up in bands? We would know about anything like that. Um,
2: you know, a lot of people that were around in that time kind of, you know, they you all know, moved on to other things. Um, there's a couple of bands that are still active like, you know, for a while, I would say between, like, I don't know, like 95 and 97, it seemed like, you know, because everyone came to Milwaukee, because everyone's like, oh, the Milwaukee Metal Fest. Um, So there was always tours coming through to begin with, so there was a lot of local bands just because there was shows to play. So there was, like, you know, there was, like, Dead Silence, Phantasm, Mortal Dread, um Necrolatory Rotted Sickness Scald, Mortis Skulled who scoring. are still kind of kicking around but yeah, yeah I mean I used to be Mortis Skulled like every other weekend okay. with some you know pairing grouping of local guys you know like smaller bands opening you know if it was you know just upstart bands that were just getting into the scene it was always like four or five bands and Mortis Skulled like literally, it seemed like every two weekends.
1: <laughs> you know? That was my high school years, that was, but it, it, was, it was crazy. Yeah, in my, in my high school years, it was the same thing in New York, but it was dehumanized on every single bill. Man, not that we cared, not that we minded at all, watching them. Um, right, that's crazy. What? What about? I mean, Wisconsin. Um, the band Malicious Hate pops into my head. Do you, do you remember them? Uh, I'm sorry. Malicious Hate. Do you remember that band? Mm from Wisconsin? No, I don't
2: recall recall that band.
1: Okay, more of a grindcore band. I think they were from Wisconsin. I don't know Milwaukee in the late 90s, man. Incredible uh, drummer. I gotta bring them up on the show. I just figured I'd run it past (laughs) you, but you also mentioned black metal, and you mentioned watching Mayhem, uh, and Emperor, and Enslaved at the Milwaukee Metal Fest, and I noticed that some of your bands in the late 90s starting out were more of the black metal uh, type. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um... You had Stormblast. Yeah. Is, is Stormblast your first band? No, um,
2: that was that, that that band is kind of a, a fun little joke thing. <laughs> um, but uh, no, the first band that you know was actually you know out doing shows that I was in was uh, when I when I joined the band they were called Dead by Morning and then we changed we had some member changes and. Uh, we changed the name to the Cold Beyond, then, and that was like, yeah, that was my kind of, you know, because I was, I was a black metal drummer, I was a grindcore drummer. I, at that point, I had kind of already, not tired with death metal, but um, I just, I, I, being that I liked fast stuff, it was like, okay, well, black metal is primarily fast. <laughs>
3: you know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's not
2: much else other than blast beats, at least some of the early stuff, you know, before it got too extravagant. Um, but it was just more raw, and I kind of, um, in the late 90s, started falling out of death metal, getting heavily into black metal, and um, more like your quote-unquote power violence stuff in underground grindcore, you know. Um, and it wasn't until maybe 2000, late 2000, 2001, where actually the band that got me back into, you know, more current death metal was, was Brodekin that I got on a suggestion from a friend, because they're like, well, you don't really like a lot of new death metal, but you should check this out. This band has lyrics like, historical, and I'm like, oh, cool, this is like kind of guttural black metal. And like, That's how I felt about it. So it's just odd that that was kind of a catalyst, and then a couple years later, I'm in Brodickin and then everyone thinks, oh, he's a brutal death metal drummer. But <laughs> to be quite honest with you, when I got the Brodickin job, we'll say, um, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll join Brodickin, but I gotta learn how to play double kick now, because all I could do was blast. You know, I could do a little double kick, but not to the extent that I needed to do Yeah. So, So yeah, definitely it's fair to say that
0: you know, I've come from more of a black metal type of background. It does make sense, though, the uh, yeah. methods of execution. It There is a black metal element to your drumming style on that. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean... Yeah, it's all. I never thought of it like that, but, uh, you know, pieced together nicely. Yeah,
2: I mean, it was all, you know, it was all this influence of, you know, ethereal you know, the first funeral record, and... Um, you know, Enslaved, Immortal, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Night in Division, 187, like, just all the really, you know, blast-heavy black metal was, like, that, that, was my, that was my thing, for sure. You can definitely hear it in Methods in particular, not so much on the Prelude EP, because I have a clearer production, and I'm doing, like, you know... Uh, there's some of those like slow monier, like cryptopsy style blast and just hypered up, but you know if you listen to the rest of it, it's all it's mostly black metal style drumming, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I am glad you you kind of brought that up um because that was going to be one of my questions. Uh, was seeing your your black metal history with your first couple of bands and then going into I don't want to skip over Fetopsy by the way before we get to Brodick. Oh, but- um, but seeing your drum style, I did want to ask you how much black metal influence played. Because uh, obviously you know we did the um, the episode with Paulo Paguntalan, your friend of mine, uh, ping with Paulo, and he referenced you and your drum style a lot uh, as kind of like a, a pioneer of, of that style of death metal with the ultra-blasting drums. And it's really interesting to hear that there's an influence of black metal, maybe that 90s um, so-called second-wave black metal, uh, right. on on your drumming style. The the other half of that question I wanted to ask you is, now that we talked about the black metal a little bit, do bands like Agoraphobic Nosebleed or Enemy Soil or Mortician who have programmed drums, uh, did those bands play any influence at all in, in your style of drumming? Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, maybe... I mean, to be honest, I'd say maybe those bands have more influence on my drumming than actual drummers i mean to be perfectly honest when i heard you know when i heard Mortician on the corporate desk prompt for the first time and i mean i was just like what the hell is this like it's just like you know it sounds clicky and plasticky but it's like unrelentingly like rigid and but it just has this like it's just a different feel and i was like that is insane. I love that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, it really pushed me because, you know, my ear got used to Agorifold's nosebleed. So I'd hear a really fast real drummer, and I'd be like, no, that's really not that fast.
3: <laughs> you know, it's
2: like, I, I, never, I never really, in my mind, I never thought of it as a machine. I just thought of it as the drummer. So, <laughs> you know, um yeah I mean that a girlfriendphone nosley was like literally life changing for me literally like chancelone Bahoro wedge uh, an soil mortician and you know, anything that I could scoop up that had mental drum programming you was all over
1: <laughs> what what are i mean um you and I have just mentioned a few of the bigger drum machine bands that people know are there any other drum machine bands that you were listening to or still do listen to that um our little, uh, don't get as much credit?
2: Well, you know, it's hard to say because you know with uh, YouTube and Google, I mean, you can really, I mean, everything's as known as the
1: next thing. It's just a matter of popularity contest, really. Uh, I mean, so, I was talking about I, maybe like in the 90s before every single person had Fruity Loops on their computer and... Oh.
2: So, um, I mean, no, I mean, there wasn't really, I mean, of course there, you had your like Dead World and your Godflesh and Pitch Shifter and stuff like that that had drum machines. Mm-hmm. But as far as like really over the top stuff, I mean, I think Meat Shift had a couple of records where it was just total like drum machine blur, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. but I never was that huge into them. I just got it for a novelty, like, oh, yeah, there's drum machines going mental on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... You know, I don't really feel like any of that stuff really picked up until, you know, maybe the early 2000s where, like, a lot of death metal bands started using drum machines again. Yeah. Or for the first time, you know, the the arrival of the one man band. You yeah, know.
1: Sh- shout out to Putrid Pop.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Um, you know, but coincidentally, I had a couple of drum machine bands in the interim of, like, the um, Cold Beyond. And, uh,. You know the Topsy Brodiken kind of era. I had a, um, a drum machine band called Accelerated Decrepitude. I think we had a, we had like an eight song demo, and I think it was like a minute thirty seven or something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it was just absolutely crazy. And then I had a
3: kind of like a grindcore black metal crossover with a drum machine, and I played guitar.
2: It was called Nuclear Power Satan. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So th- I mean, there was there was that stuff, but. Outside of your enemy soils, morticians, agoraphobics, that kind of stuff. There wasn't really. Well, catasexual urge motivation might have been around. Um, The early Gorbeon necropsy stuff before they went to, like. Yes. You know, they're like shit shit core (laughs) records. Yeah, yeah. I
1: I like them with the drum machine. I remember that. And the band that's coming to my mind is Lymphatic Phlegm from Brazil.
2: See, I wasn't aware of them until. I don't know, maybe two thousand two-ish when I got like really heavy into grind.
1: Yes, yeah, Uh, makes sense. So yeah, that's a whole other (laughs) branch off of you know
2: my mind going (laughs) a zillion places at once.
1: Yeah, no, we want to get to at least uh, most of those places, but that's good. (laughs) Because you brought us right back to 2002 and I'd like to talk about fetopsy. Can you tell us how Fee begins? Yeah.
2: Um, I was uh, around that time I had just started working at a record shop called Earwax Records. Mm-hmm. And um, they were a big, uh, they were primarily like a punk rock record shop but they had a lot of death metal and grind and stuff like that. And through working at the record store I got to, you know, get my hands on more things. Um, and that's around the time when I found like Bizarre Leprous production. Yes, yes. That whole Czech and Polish thing that's Mm. just, you know, the best. Um, so yeah, p was kind of like, well, I met Eric, the, the original guitar player. I met him at the record shop and he was, you know, he was more into like your development deeds of flesh, stuff like that. Um, Suffocation. He was more of like a brutal death guy. And I was coming from, you know, an obsession with agoraphobic nosebleed, you know, anal current, noise core stuff, and all the gore grind shit that I was going mental for at the time. And, you know, a little bit of a you know, I was marginally into brutal death at that time too. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I'd gotten back into Broadekin and
1: uh, disgorge. Um, uh, you're you're not playing drums for Brodekin yet, right? No, no, okay. is
2: the the the, the uh, formation of Fetopsy precedes that by I don't know, maybe two years, mm-hmm. year and a half, something like that. Okay.
1: And uh, so you so you you start Fetopsy, and I remember. Um, Back in the early 2000s, some friends and I uh, were into Fetopsy, and somebody had heard somewhere that there was like a crazy commute that you guys had to do to, to rehearse and write and get together with Fetopsy. Is that, does that ring a bell? Is that true?
2: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I lived kind of on the south side, south like suburbs of Milwaukee. Um, and the guitar player, Eric, he lived in um, like more western like rural area, kind of where I live now, oddly enough. But for him, yeah, it was like a 45, 50 minute commute. And we practiced three times a week. And we practiced at like nine in the morning because we both worked third shift. So he he practiced, (laughs) you know, maybe that's why we were fast. I don't know, had a lot of energy in the morning getting off work ready to grind you know I don't
0: know fresh cup of um, coffee I'm sure the neighbors love it yeah a cup
2: yeah. of coffee whatever <laughs> but yeah so we, we did that for God just forever you know so yeah there was a bit of a commute there for Eric you know yeah 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 he was he was you know he was great <laughs> three,
1: 45 minutes to an hour doesn't sound bad until you say three times a week <laughs>
2: right right I mean but we were so into it yeah yeah just, yeah and you can tell on those first couple, like especially on like the bizarre gynecology seven inch, like we were on fire at that point. Yeah. You know that, that the A side of that seven inch is just like
1: I hear it now, and I'm like, what the hell were we doing? <laughs> like, it's it's gore grind with a lot of personality, and I don't think people were people were still uh, not not used to bands playing that fast. You know what I mean? Like, nowadays, the whole the drumming has gotten so competitive with YouTube and Triggers and this and that, but I, back back when Fetopsy was out, it was like people were not ready for that.
2: No, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, not to drop an obvious bomb here, but, you know, I have to admit that, you know, actually cryptopsy had a lot to do with Fetopsy as well, clearly, you know, because I, I heard, you know, first time I heard Blast, We made flesh and it opens up with that huh. that blast. I was just yeah. like, Jesus Christ. Like I want a band that does that all the time. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so it was like so, like, so basically yeah, you know, so basically it was like C-Tops, he was like, let's let's field everyone with weird changes. Let's have some slam parts before like slam was slam. Yeah. And but the rest of the time let's just like Fallout, cryptopsy anal current, like meter blur, into some death metal breakdowns, and you know, so that was kind of the
1: the mo of fetopsy. Yeah, and just for the listeners, uh, we're talking about F O E T O P S Y fetopsy um, from uh, Wis- Wisconsin in the early two thousands. Um, if you want to look that up, and now, uh, well, before before we get move on, did fetopsy play live a lot? Yeah, we played a ton. Yeah, we played all the time.
2: There was at that time there was uh, there wasn't much death metal going on. Um, but you know, I don't know. I'm sure you've seen videos of you know Fetopsy playing and you know uh, Jesse, our frontman, who's also the drummer for Screaming Afterbirth now, um, Sexual Atrocities. Um, he was he was a show unto himself. I mean, he was just hilarious. Had the best intros for songs. So, with that being said, we were kind of viewed as like um, as as mental as it was. We were kind of viewed as like kind of a fun like party band in a way. So we played with we played shows with hardcore bands, punk bands. Um, We actually played a street corner (laughs) having like a downtown (laughs) festival and there were like old people watching us and we're doing songs about genitals and whatever and they're like you guys made our weekend, that was fun (laughs) like, so yeah, we played we played all the time, people loved it you know, it was like kind of like a Milwaukee party thing to like go see some topsy I don't know, it was was a strange time for sure a lot of people just were into it because clearly we were just having fun and you know, I guess the obscene <laughs> speeds of it were just like novel for a lot of people. So like, I think we got away with a lot because, you know, it was funny and the music was like, what the hell are these guys doing? I've never seen or heard anything like this. Yeah, so. it's
0: really intense, but, um, you know, a listener just giving it a few minutes on any release, you could tell you're having fun with it. It's like, yeah, it's serious having fun, you know, like great, great <laughs> playing and all that. And then also uh, not taking yourself too serious, you know?
2: Yeah, I think we maybe went a little bit too far with that on our second <laughs> record. That was a totally different time. But, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that you guys you know, say that you can tell that it was fun. Because it, it really was, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, of course, man. And, and um, I guess t- take me through... Brodekin, you're, you're a fan of Brodekin they, they're they playing now with uh, Chad Walls on drums uh, yep. and, and you're a fan of Brodekin, take me through uh, Brodekin needs a drummer and you end up in the band, how does that happen?
2: Yeah, it was really weird um, basically I believe I want to say it was Ohio Deathfest Fest 2 Puzzle 1 Brodekin I guess, we got a phone call on the way down there from Milwaukee we went, you know, 10 of us from Milwaukee all went down two cars um and somewhere along the way we found out that Brodikin was playing like oh we got a phone call like reinfection can't make it but Brodikin's playing I was like you know I love reinfection love 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 that band I was super bummed but I was like all right, Brodikin is a consolation that's that's super cool
1: reinfection reinfection from Poland right yes that's correct okay I just wanted to check I remember them okay I'm sorry go on
2: no 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 that's totally cool yeah yeah um And slow me down if I'm rambling too fast. No, no, no,
1: you're, you're going great. I just had to flex on the listeners and show them I know who Reinfection infection is. Will <laughs> likes
0: to show off how much of
1: an encyclopedia he is. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you guys are all encyclopedias, so,
2: you know, it's, it's cool. I, I dig it. I'm a fucking dork, too, so let's just dork out.
1: That's what um, the show is all about, man. So so you're going down to Ohio Death Fest, and Brodikin uh, replaces Reinfection on the lineup.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it was a direct replacement, but it was like, okay, well, one band that I wanted to be canceled, but now I get to see and I wasn't expecting that, so, eh, just shrug it off, sort of. Anyway, so, the uh, kind of the fun story is, I think it was Corpse Gristle at that at that fest. I think they had a shirt, or maybe it was Prophecy, it was some of the Texas crew, Um <laughs> They made shirts that said no gay black metal, right? <laughs> oh, and I was like, well, whatever, you know, I, I get it. But.
1: Just for the listeners, because I've mentioned this before, that there was a lot of animosity between brutal death metal and black metal in the late 90s and early 2000s, and people don't realize that.
2: Oh, yeah, people hated it. Yeah. People hated black metal. You know, like... Not everyone always liked Transylvanian Hunger. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's rewind. Let's rewind life twenty years, and people fucking hated that record. You know, yeah. now it's like bible of the underground <laughs> in certain yeah. circles.
0: Everyone's um, got the shirt. I do too. <laughs> right.
1: Everyone
2: should have it. That's the best yeah, record. I agree. One of the best. Records.
1: I, I go soul side journey. That's just my personal. Opinion. Oh, all
2: right, but I mean, *Dark Throne* in general. I could yeah, I could have an episode on *Dark Throne* with just me talking for six hours. I mean, we
1: we might have to do that one day, John.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm down for whatever, guys.
1: So, um, uh, all right, so you're, so, yeah, you're, so you're, you're at Ohio Death Fest, and these guys have an offensive shirt.
2: Yeah, well, they have the no gay black metal shirt. And it's yeah. like whatever, you know. That's cool. But then, you know, I have this idea about Brodickin. I Like, when I first heard it, like, I rewind the conversation a little bit. I said, yeah, Brodickin's like, you know, this is kind of like guttural, low-tuned black metal in a way. You know, kind of has that same vibe. So coincidentally, Brodickin gets on stage, and Mike Bailey, the guitar player, he had a blue Ibanez RG with a fucking Mayhem logo sticker on it. I was like, I fucking knew it, right? So I think after Brodickin played... I you know just casually walked up to Mike and was like, "Hey man, you know, love the band, love the set, fucking great sticker on your guitar." And mm-hmm. I think one of my one of my first things to him was, "Yeah, what do you think about these?" And no Gay black metal shirts. So we kind of had a, a laugh back and forth about you know people hating black metal and whatever. So just through sitting there talking to Mike about black metal, I don't know how it came up, but I think I gave him a Fetopsy demo because I think we had just pressed it. Or not pressed it <laughs> at home pressed it
1: <laughs> just uh, dubbed it
2: <laughs> yeah just you know shitty burned CDR with a one sleeve in it um, and it came up that you know I don't know if he said we're firing our drummer or we're not happy with our drummer or if he put it more delicately but I kind of was like well dude I play drums <laughs> you know and then I also had um, the Cold Beat on my black metal band, I had that demo on too, just a couple copies that I found in a closet or something. So I gave them those too and then, yeah, sure enough, I don't know how many weeks or months later it was, it wasn't too, it wasn't much longer than three or four months if I can remember correctly. I got an email from, I don't know if it was Mike or Jamie, like saying, yeah, this is kind of like going on, we listened to the demo, you know. We're gonna come up if that's cool, and you know we'll do a tryout. So I was like, "Yeah, great!" And then I panicked because I was like, "Holy shit! I have to fucking play kick drums like that," you know. <laughs> but <the point laughs> but uh, to you, so yeah, that was kind of the that was kind of a my way into the band, and then you know just went from there. And they were happy with my playing, and of course I was happy being in their band because you know who wouldn't be?
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: so. So you, you so yeah, that's how that kind of came together. So that was kind of an odd coincidence.
1: Um, you say they came up, but at that point, you're talking about them come them coming from Knoxville, Tennessee, to Wisconsin. Yeah, I, if
2: I remember correctly, the first time we jammed was in my parents' basement. Um, and that was like my tryout. They drove up from Knoxville, and I think they stayed for two nights or whatever. And we just jammed. I learned a handful of songs. You know, I learned stuff off, um, you know, instruments and festival and stuff like that. And yeah, it just worked out. And then I went down there a few times. Um, maybe they came up here once or twice within that time frame, within that, you know, year or whatever it was before I just like moved down there. Um, but yeah, we were, you know, it was like once a month, one of us was, driving down or
1: up. And how long was that commute?
2: Oh, man, and that's hard to recall. I would say anywhere from six months to nine months. Oh, and oh, then right. I was stuck in. I, did, I just it meant like just.
1: Sorry. What's that? I apologize. I just meant the drive from where you lived in Wisconsin to to, uh, to Knoxville and back. How, how far were you guys driving to get to rehearsal? Oh,
2: oh I'm sorry. I totally veered off there. No, no, no. Um, about, I would say, 10 and a half, 11
1: hours. Jeez. Yeah. Maybe that's what I was thinking about when I asked you about the fetopsy. The uh, commute because that's that's pretty crazy to drive 10 or 11 hours for for me just driving from long island uh, into new york city for like you know about an hour is crazy long uh, 10 or 12 hours so so you moved, yeah. you moved down there
2: yeah i moved down there Who i want to say well it had to be around you know maybe late 2001 early 2002 i guess
1: and at this point, I mean, at the time. What's going on with Fetopsy when you join Brodekin
2: Um, well, Fetopsy is kind of fizzling out at that point. Um, we had plans on, oh yeah, we'll still do it, but you know, it just it didn't work out that way. It, it was just there was too much going on. Yeah, you know, the commute sense. was I mean, too it's crazy.
0: A, yeah, exactly. You have a giant commute, and like, it, it's a lot. That, that's uh. I mean, that's huge that you committed to do that, the the product to begin with, you know, and then yeah, trying to keep this other project going that, you know, kind of what you're saying before, it was more of a fun endeavor.
2: Yeah, you know, the, and the thing with that, you know, I, I'm sure that if it would be, you know, in 2019, you know, when everyone has file sharing and Dropbox and, you know, everyone's got like a, a DAW on their iPad or laptop, you know, it would have been much, much, much easier if we wanted to still collaborate. But you know, when you're talking like, you know, 2002, there was that stuff was it was around. You know, as far as I know, you can still email. But everything is slower, more expensive. You know, it's, it's so much easier now for for bands to do long distance collabs.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, um, you record the. Uh Prelude to Execution EP. That's your first uh, release with Brodekin right? That's correct, yeah. Uh, something I wanted to ask you, I don't know if this was something that you uh, had something to do with, because you were, at the time, you were the, the, the newest member and the drummer, but something about, I wanted to ask you about the production. Um, on, on Festivals of Death, uh, there was a shift, um, and it seemed like Festivals of Death was more that left, uh, right, hard pan with the guitars. Whereas on Freelude, you get that more mono uh, center based guitar production. Where, was that like a conscious decision on the band? And is that something you could elaborate on? Um, well, I mean, I can't really recall anyone making a conscious decision.
2: Um, I mean, maybe I'm liking Jamie then because I know they weren't happy with the way festival sounded. Um, so I think they were just collectively, we, we were just trying to make. Everything a little more audible, coherent, decipherable. So maybe the guitar production um, was changed just for the sake of clarity. I don't quite remember, but we were also working on a you know super tight schedule. Um, you know because we we recorded that in the lobby at my friend's house. My friend had built a studio like in his house, like like ripped out bathroom walls and shit to put like a studio up. Um, so we came up here to record, but we were living, you know, in Tennessee, so we literally had like, I don't know, I think maybe, you know, I think it was like a Friday night, I did those drums in, I don't know, maybe like 45 minutes or something, <laughs> And then the, and then the next afternoon they did vocals, guitars, bass, and, you know, it was just a couple hour ordeal overall. So maybe just the expediency of, we have to get back home, and this is what we have. But, you know, we were happy with the song. I still think that sounds great, you know?
1: Uh, agreed. As a fan, I just see it as um, two different uh, takes on, on the production value and the production style. And I thought maybe that there right. was, that might have been some of the black metal influence uh, coming in. I mean, it could have been.
2: It, it could have been because, I mean, definitely the black metal influence was, like, strong on methods like... I intentionally wanted my drums mixed low. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want the like super punchy in your face, like overwhelming drums are louder than everything death metal production. Yeah. Um, because I thought Mike's riffs were great and I'm the drummer, you know, I'm, I'm just the backbone. Mm-hmm. So the methods was intentionally on my end, you know, there were a couple of records that I kind of was like, yeah, I, I would like this kind of sound. So that's why Method sounds like it sounded. And, you know, Mike was a huge black metal fan, too. He was a huge black metal fan. So, yeah, I think that slowly started becoming more and more of a thing. I mean, you can even hear it with some of the Riffy and songwriting. But just It was getting more and more black metal. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and and um, now, before we get away from Brodickin, I wanted to ask you about Liturgy. Uh, does Liturgy come like like after Methods of Execution or just while Brodikin's going on?
2: Um, again the timeline on that for me is a little blurry because it was like I don't know if we had already recorded Methods and then started working on Liturgy or Liturgy was in the works before we finished Methods I, I don't quite recall that but yeah it was all sandwiched in mm-hmm. into that time and actually um you know a lot of the liturgy stuff mike wrote on his own with a drum machine and then you know gave it to me and jamie and then we all collectively changed things you know tweaked the song structures changed some orders of riffs and whatever but that was kind of just like uh i think that mostly came out of a um maddie and jamie were, were tight still are tight, and I think they just wanted to do a project together um, because they had worked together in Cinerary, and they weren't doing that, so I think Liturgy was kind of like, you know, like a part two in a way of Cinerary, you know, it was like a collaborational thing where it started out as a uh, something that two people wanted to do, you know, let's, like, let's, let's keep going with the project. And then you know, Mike and I just happened to be around, you know. So it was just convenient that you know liturgy
1: happened that way. Yeah, um, and we we interviewed Matty Way um a few weeks ago, and we tried to sort out all the different albums he's been involved with, and 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 that. Was yeah, kind of, I, I listened to it. It's
2: pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. Right. Matty maddie has been in a lot of different projects. Um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do here is just sort out. Uh, you know, they had Cinerary, and then Liturgy kind of takes off from Cinerary, and at the same time, Brodekin's going on, but Liturgy ends up comprising, you know, most of the members of Brodekin uh, with, with Maddie Way now. Maybe take us back to when you met Maddie Way.
2: Um, well, I met Maddie Way. Um, I met him there, I think, yeah, it was the 2001 Ohio Death Fest as well. Um, the same you know, that I hooked up with Um, But I just met him as, you know, the singer from Disgorge. I didn't meet him as a, you know, as a friend, so to speak, until Liturgy was happening. Like, I knew Maddie, you know, I, I knew he was in Disgorge, whatever. We had talked a couple times, I believe, but it wasn't until we all started working together in Liturgy, and that's when... Maddie and I became, like, actual friends other than me just going, yeah, this gorgeous sick dude, like, (laughs) shaking his hand at the show, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that was like, and um, Jamie and Maddie's relationship really started that, and then Jamie brought you into the fold, correct? Yeah. Well, I think they, well,
2: no, I mean, I believe they were friends, obviously, because they did Cinerary before.
0: Right, right, yeah. Um,
1: Yeah.
2: So, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure about
1: that. But okay, no, I, I just just trying to get to get sorted out because a lot of people check out the music we talk about on this podcast, and um, just like I said with the Maddie Way podcast, we're trying to like like organize things a little bit here. Now, yeah, for sure, there's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now talking uh, about Brodickin. Um, based on videos of watching you uh, play drums for Broderkin, it seemed like you kind of scaled down the drum kit over time. Is is that fair to say? Is that true? Yeah, um, you know, I had I had my you know kick
2: and snare, hi hat and china for a feet seat. You know, and like <laughs> no kit basically. And then when I joined Broderkin, I went out and I bought this like you know I bought a a big drum set for you know you know I had two. I had two kick drums and, you know, two rack toms, a floor, a bunch of cymbals, and, you know, because, you know, let's be honest, Chad did a lot of, like, fancy stuff, especially on, like, instruments, so I was like, well, I gotta, like, I gotta expand my palette. but, you know, I just just kept scaling back, scaling back, scaling back, because I was like, you know, I just, I'm more of a minimal player, that's my style, I don't need a lot, you know, I played fast. Like, I don't need 16 splashes and little bells. And it's like, what, what is my job? Double kick, last beats, you know, huh. some groovy parts, couple thimbles, a couple cymbals, a couple toms, double pedal, done. Yeah. And just,
0: just for, like, other drummers out there, uh, having two kick drums, how much more of a pain in the ass is that? I hated it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I hated it. Alright, good. I love hearing that. Because practical is the way to go. You know, a drummer's got enough well, stuff to do.
2: Yeah, and, you know, you just, uh, you know, and even when I had two kick drums, because I was like, well, I'm triggering this. You know, I'm triggering the kick. Because you just, in my opinion, it's not a matter of, I mean, that's always a debate, but if you're a death metal band, and you have a lot of double kick, and you're fast band, and you're not triggering live, people are missing, uh, a lot to do with the sound of it you know it's not it's not a decision to like take the easy way out or cheat that's just the sound if you don't have that sound you know whatever so with my kit i was like okay i'll get two bass drums but i got 18s i was like i'm not really micing these so to try to keep it compact and playable to be fast and efficient you know keep your range of motion to a minimum. So you don't get tired you're in closer proximity to everything it's just more ergonomic right but yeah so I just kept scaling down scaling down scaling down until I ended up with basically you know a little jazz kit
1: <laughs> <laughs> like like somebody designing a, a race car for like more aerodynamics you know yeah
2: exactly and yeah
1: so alright so um take, take us through uh playing live with Brodickin, because something I did want to touch on is you've brought up that Ohio Death Fest a few times. If I'm not mistaken, the year 2000 was the last Milwaukee Metal Fest. Is that correct to your knowledge? Mm. Or maybe like 2001? I feel like it was 2000. Yeah, there was
2: there was 2001 and then it went away for a couple of years and they tried to revive it in the, I don't know, maybe around 2006 or something and they had another one. And it just totally flopped.
1: Um, yeah, and the, the, my point being, um, <clears throat> because in that era, by 2006, you're well into the what I refer to and have talked about on the show as the Maryland Death Fest era. Um, Maryland Death Fest, oh in yeah. the early 2000s. Can you talk a little bit, maybe about like Brodikin playing playing live in that era and that kind of li- like that generation of death metal? Yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, I mean, I
2: played the first Maryland with fetopsy and Brodekin and that was my second Brodiken show. So that was kind of, that was kind of, you know, that was kind of like my debut. I played, I believe we played one show in Dayton, Ohio, before that. So, yeah, playing a, a, you know, basically my first known show with Brodickin at Maryland with that heavy of a lineup with something, a fest that was geared towards that. Well, it was at the time anyway.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's it's grown. Yeah, it was exponentially since then, but at that point, it was a guttural death metal fest.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, we were like, oh, cool, it's like Ohio Death Fest, but on the East Coast, like, yeah. that's, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know how much I can go into detail about all of it, because, you know, it's <laughs> so long ago, but, um, yeah, like, the Brodykin shows around that time were, were super fun, we were all super, like, into it, It's kind of like, I don't know if those dudes, like, felt revived with a new drummer or something, but, you know, we did a bunch of shows, and they were all pretty cool, um, some just, like, weird shows at, like, a gymnasium in, like, Kentucky somewhere, and it's, like, you know, it's just just odd shows like that, I mean, but being in Tennessee, you know, there wasn't much going on there, so outside of that tour that we did with um, Sublime Traverick Decomposition, um, it was, like, two weeks, States tour and then we toured Canada and played you know Fuck the Commerce in Germany but there really wasn't that many shows collectively um with me and Brodickon um at that era
1: you know what so, about that, that Fuck the Commerce uh was that in Germany yeah yeah that's in Germany what, what was that like What do you remember what, what other bands were playing that year um I remember
2: obituary played, um, discord, Mexigorge played, we'll call it, uh, with Antimo uh,
1: still in the band then, right?
2: Uh, no, that was I think that was like one of their first shows Ooh. with their guitar player moving on to vocals.
1: Controversial. But it was cool nonetheless. Controversial, okay, okay. Um,
3: but uh,
2: yeah, I mean, it was that was the first time I was in Europe, so. You know, and we played the first night with Brock and the second night with Liturgy. Mm-hmm. So it was like I got to play that big crowd twice the first time I was there. So, awesome. Yeah, I had a lot of good fun, <laughs> a lot of good times
1: there. So before we move on from Brodickin, something I want to ask you because I've I've been in situations and I've I've known people who have moved uh, to join a band or I've contemplated moving to join a band. You actually did that with Brodickin. Can you maybe talk yep. about that process of uprooting yourself and starting off in a new town? Because obviously you know where you're going to go to play drums and rehearse. But did you have a job lined up? Did you like ingratiate yourself with the local metal scene?
2: Well, there really wasn't there really wasn't a metal scene there, um, so it was just kind of like the three of us. <laughs> I mean there was there was other stuff going on, I'm sure, but I mean it wasn't like death metal by any stretch. Um, but, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole movie thing was pretty crazy, um, since I had been down there, um, several times before I moved, I did manage to set myself up with a, uh, a job through a temp service, so I, I was employed, you know, um, so I had a job when I moved down there, and basically, for the first however many months, um, I stayed with Jamie and his wife, um in a spare room at their house they let me crash there for a while on their futon and then I got my own apartment like in Knoxville Um, yeah I mean it was it was uh, it was interesting that's for sure it was uh, you know at that point I had never you know I hadn't travelled a lot. I was, you know, born and raised in Milwaukee, lived in the same suburb of Milwaukee my whole life and then I just like moved to Knoxville. So it was a culture shock. It was a weather shock. Oh my god. I'm not a fan of hot weather and I was just like the first year I was there I was like this is just this weather is fucking satanic and I can't deal with this. Um, but yeah, I mean as far as like I mean like my friend base down there was very limited. It was like Mike and Jamie and you know, then I met some other random people that I'd party with here and then, but as far as, like, being active in a scene or going to shows, networking with other, you know, folks into the same stuff, there was literally none of that wow. at all, which was a big shock for me because, I mean, Milwaukee was, like, you know, had Fetopsy going on. There was tons of bands. We were playing tons of shows, and then I moved to Tennessee, and it was like, oh. I'm just practicing and that's kind of when because there wasn't a whole lot going on that's when I really got like super heavy I had always listened to like harsh noise industrial stuff like that but because I was on my own a lot in Tennessee that's when I started collecting pedals and synths and stuff like that and going off the deep end with actually starting to delve into noise like on a serious level so that was kind of a, a weird side effect of being in in Tennessee as far as, you know, not having much to do.
0: Yeah, I think it's <laughs> funny that you moved uh, to more of a southern environment where it's typically slower to play some of the fastest music.
2: <laughs> yes, now that you mention it, that is, that is pretty
0: weird. Well, I mean,
1: it's uh, good on you, man. Shit's crazy. It, it was a good environment to focus because you said there wasn't much to distract you from from your band. Um, right. You know, us, usually people move from a place where there isn't much going on to join a band in some place like Brooklyn. Uh, we see that a lot now. Like like, there's a lot of out of state me- people moving to Brooklyn because there's a huge music scene over there now. Um, but that there, maybe there's something to be said for moving somewhere where it's just you and your bandmates, and you can you, you know you can focus on it. Um, I don't know.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, there could be, that could very well be a good point. I mean, you think about, you know, if you are a fan of Behind the Music, you know, you watch, um, you know, any shit like that, and it's like, yeah, we rented a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere and recorded this record by ourselves in the country for a year.
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, maybe there's a lot to do with just like, okay, we're, not to say it, it was that extreme of a circumstance, because... You know, we we're still in a city, but yeah, I mean, having nothing to
0: do except it does follow you know, suit with the uh, focus black on metal. the band. Like,
2: what's
0: that? Uh, it it follows suit with the uh, black metal ideology that you know. <laughs> a lot of those Norwegians they're they're playing in, like isolation, and they, they almost flaunt that. Yeah, and uh, you know that you get some really interesting music when it's just you in your own head. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. So, um, we talked about Brodekin um, we talked about liturgy in that time period, is it, uh, is it shortly after that, that you start suffering from pain, or that you experienced, uh, that, that, that makes you put down the drums, or did I get that wrong?
2: Um, yeah, it was towards the end of my stay in Tennessee, um, yeah, that's when the, the hip nerve damage started going on, because, you know, um, You know, and it's not like uh, people ask, oh, are you in a car accident, or did you fall off something? No, it's just, I had bad posture when I played drums, I sat too low, and this was before I knew of, you know, like, I had just heard around that time of joining Brodickin, because I wasn't, you know, there was the Derek Roddy Forum at the time, which is like, one of the first things that like death metal drummers got to like really communicate on and start sharing tricks and stuff before tutorials on youtube all the time but you know i didn't yeah. know about you know i didn't know about heel toe double stroke kick drum whatever so i mean i was literally single stroking everything i still to this day can't gravity blast i can't heel toe like everything is single stroke whoa <laughs> You know what I mean? I, I don't know any of that, any of those tricks. So basically, um, between sitting too low, playing too hard, <laughs> with poor technique, probably in retrospect. And you know, I moved. I didn't have shit. All I had was like my CD collection and a recliner and my drum set. So I slept on the floor. I slept on my recliner. I played drums like a fucking idiot, ground my <laughs> ground my back into dust, and ended up with, like, you know, basically, you know, uh, sciatic nerve problems where it's just, like, I can still play drums, but being a death metal drummer, I view it as being a marathon runner, in a sense, where if you fall off a day of training, you're going to feel it the next day. And if you miss two days, you're totally screwed. You know, it's like, I don't have the nor do I really have the interest anymore to be completely honest Um, yeah I mean it is what it is you know it's just it's an injury that developed over time and as much as I could jam for 30 minutes here 30 minutes there I don't have my body can't take the constant regimen and constant practice and you know that you need to be a fluid great death metal drummer you need that endurance you need that stamina and you need to keep it up
3: and if i would go about that you know that same sort of routine
2: that i was in like i play four hours a day or whatever it was every day um yeah i'd still be using a cane i'd be like pulling myself like falling out of bed laying on the ground to pull my pants up and you know, pre-tying my shoes on my lap and then just slipping my foot in because I can't move. <laughs> you know what I mean? It got really bad at times. Oh, I mean, there were there were times over the last, you know, especially peaked around, which is weird. It went away for a little bit, probably because I stopped playing drums. Um, but yeah, it was. It got to a worse, its worst point around, I would say, like 2013, because I never really did anything about it. But in 2013, I think there was a week where I had to call in every day because I was basically better at it. Like, I could not move. Um, like, I'd sneeze and I'd fall down in pain. <laughs> like, it was fucking awful. Um, wow. So yeah, that's when I went to physical therapy and saw a chiropractor and, and every once in a while, I still get the, the pain. But it's not as bad, and it's way less often. So I would like to attribute that to not playing drums the way I was playing drums. <laughs> wow.
1: Uh, there's, there's a lot there to talk about, um, and we appreciate you sharing that with us. I know that must have been a very difficult situation to deal with in your life. Um,
2: I- um, I, I, it, was, it was difficult in the front. Um you know, because drums were a huge part of my life and I had a lot of fun doing it. Of course. But, you know, I, you know, I've been so into other things that I just viewed it as, well, I can't play drums. I can play drums, but it hurts, so I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I like playing guitar. I'm gonna get better at guitar. Uh, I love Japanese noise. I'm gonna get good at that. Um, I mean, some people would laugh how you get good at noise. You can get good at noise, trust me. It's an art um, form.
1: It's a craft. It's an art form. You know, there's there's ways of talking. Yeah, uh, I mean, good is yeah. subjective, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, so I just viewed it as an
2: opportunity to do other things that I hadn't explored because I was too busy playing drums. So, I mean, it was hard, but at the same time, it was almost refreshing because it was like I got to like
1: reinvent myself in a lot of ways. Okay, it sounds like a very healthy attitude. I hope I'm as proactive uh, if I ever lose my voice <laughs> and I can't sing for death metal bands and I have to f- figure something out one day. Um, so, wh- let me ask you this. Did, I know what I would have done uh, in your position drumming for Brodekin. I would have... Tried to ignore it and played through the pain until my my problems got way worse because that's what that's i'm kind of ignorant like that did you do that and just get to a point where you had to give it up
2: well i mean it's kind of a two-fold thing um you know i was in pain but at a certain point i started becoming you know i don't know if it was a matter of just being unhappy in tennessee or um you know, maybe I was missing being more active, like in a city like Milwaukee or something where there was more shows, we were doing more. Vatican was, you know, pretty static for a while there, besides, you know, those two tours and, you know, Germany show, we didn't do anything locally. You know, we just played fests, more or less. Yeah. So I was just like, I was getting unhappy, I was kind of bored. So I. Basically, was like, you know what? I'm in pain. I'm not happy here. So I just, I just went back home. I was like, you know, guys, you know, I'm just, I'm out. You know, it was that's one of the uh, bad things about me, I suppose. And you know, ask anyone that's ever been in a band with me. I'm kind of like notoriously difficult in the fact where if I lose my enthusiasm or I think we're running in circles or something, I'm just, I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to do it if I am not like going, you know, completely crazy, obsessed about it. If I'm not at that level, you you don't need me. Yeah, I'm just like, you know what? We've done this already, or, you know, a myriad of reasons, you know? I'm just kind of like, I'm not one to just stick around because, yeah, this is what we do. If I don't feel like it's, you know, tickling my, you know, funny bone or whatever, however you would put it, you know, if it's if it's not doing it for me anymore, I'm just I'm done and I'm moving on to something else because I love tons of different styles of music. You know, I want to play a bass in this type of band. I want to play guitar in that type of band. You know, you know, I want to try this style of music, try that style of music. So no matter what I do, I always flip right over and go, all right, I'm going to explore this, mm-hmm. and it's done. Poof, you know. <laughs> So that's probably, like I said, that's probably a bad thing. And that's probably why none of my projects really have lasted for more than a couple of years. You know, but in the instance of Brodickin, to get back to the topic, sorry I'm diverting too much here.
3: No, no, no. Um,
2: Yeah, it was a combination of I'm in pain and I want to do something else. And that was it, and I was just kind of like, I, you know, kind of abruptly just left, you know.
1: Yeah,
3: and- it was a weird,
2: weird decision at that time, but, you know, many, many years later, I got to, you know, obviously, we all reconnected and did a couple of things with Braddock and, you know, the, the me, Mike, Jamie lineup. So we got to, uh, I kind of got to explain my feelings of guilt for just bailing more or less. And kind of leaving them high and dry, but you know, man. you know, it is what it is. You're young. You fucking, it's not working for you, and you dip, and then it's like many years later, you go, man, i not kind of kind of shitty at me, maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah, but you can't but, over, you can't overlook the pain aspect of it. You know, you're you're like physically, yeah, um, just being totally sucked dry. You know, um, yeah, you, <clears throat> yeah, you might. Look back at it and, and go uh, I wish I didn't do that or not Wish I didn't do it but you know Or handle it different or whatever but you're also In physical pain Which you don't really yeah. remember When you're looking back like that Personally that's how I feel you know Yeah
2: Yeah I mean You know you gotta hear the comments Of You know and, and not like it so much matters To me but you gotta hear Oh um, you Just suck it up, or it can't be that bad. You know, everyone has a (laughs) everyone has something to say about everything, and it's
1: like I don't need to fucking explain myself. Like, no, no, you know, I'm I'm not not grandpa. I have I I have no idea what you've been through um, with with this physical issue. I know, I I, at one point I had a bruised sciatic nerve, and I've had problems with uh, sciatic nerve, my sciatic nerve, and my back throughout my life. And there's been times where if somebody told me to suck it up. I if I had the if I had the strength I'd probably try to slap him but I, you know the, the, with ba- with back pain and nerve pain and stuff man that's some of the most debilitating pain you can experience just from like a tiny little you know one one piece of your body um shut you know shutting everything down um I, you know yeah yeah I mean like I said you know I've
2: I've um you know I can remember when the pain was at very you know very worst and. uh um you know, just coughing you like you have to brace yourself up against like a counter or something or a table because you're like, I'm gonna cough, and it's gonna fucking hurt so bad and and you just like your whole body locks up. you know it's it's I mean, you said sciatic nerve, man, that's that's it that that'll put you down for days and days and days. Yeah. and then you throw and then you throw fucking brodokin or petopsy on top of that. like that's not happening that's not happening yeah
1: it (laughs) it, it hurts to cough let me play a blast beat on a set of drums i mean that's fucking crazy so i want to talk about both of these things what comes first um you developing uh your your midi pad way of of playing drums or the band or the the project custodian that you start
2: um custodian
1: was first okay and that's oh seven i believe right What's that? 07, you start that?
2: Yeah, yeah, roughly 2000. I think my first Custodian release was like summer or fall of 2008. So yeah, that sounds about right.
1: And and you mentioned moving on from from drums uh, to experimental noise. Is that kind of what you did with Custodian? Yeah,
2: I mean, I had always, like I said, I mean, I got into noise you know, around the same time that I was getting into, I mean, um, you know, I was already into noise when I was in my black metal bands. I was into noise probably 98, 97 like around the time of like rel- Relapse doing that release sub label. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, I mean, so I was always into it, and I always like you know, like. Borrow my guitar player pedals for a night and plug my drum machine into it and just like fuck around. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I was just, you know, experimenting with sound and stuff. But yeah, it wasn't until I got um, back from Tennessee and then I had restarted Sheetopsy for a while, and that's when we did it in the bathroom. But then that fizzled out, and then I was like, fuck it, I'm just going full on noise because I don't need a band. I'm sick of writing songs. You know, you get off of a Ctopsy CD and it's like, we just wrote 25 songs that's 17 minutes long. (laughs) You know, and you're just like, I'm tired of this. I can't do anything more with drums. I can't do anything more with grindcore. You know, I just felt like I hadn't been spinning my wheels. So I was like, I'm just going to fucking jump ship, go to something completely abstract, do what I want, have fun again, you know, I, I, I learned to uh,
3: Love improv- Improvisation I'm sick of rehearsing The same song
2: over and over you know, you know, to me it was just about Developing a sound In my head Fleshing out how to do that With the right gear, making pedals Making pieces of sheet metal With fucking contact mics and shit on them Like, I'm just gonna go out <laughs> On the deep end huh. Yeah, and that was actually custodian um that's my longest running project you know i, I think i did that more i mean i definitely put out more records with custodian than i did collectively in my drumming career so yeah that was uh you know in my eyes custodian's kind of like my you know it's like here's my birthday cake <laughs> to the world and, <laughs> like this is this is my uh that's kind of you know the project that I have, like I guess I hold dearest to my heart because okay. that was like the most. It was the most me, I believe. You know, and have- because it was an interest that it was an interest that had been, you know, just simmering in the background for a decade or more, and just when I decided to do it, it was like so liberating.
1: Do you feel like it might have been influenced or inspired by some of the pain you were experiencing? The physical pain? I
2: don't don't know. I don't know if I could draw that relation because actually uh, custodian live sets were uncharacteristic of noise where uh, they were like very, very physical. Like I was very active. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't just hunch over a table full of shit. You know, I I moved around. There was, (laughs) you know, there's a video of uh, me playing at a noise festival in Minneapolis. It's like you can't even see what's going on. It's just like a five minute mosh pit with some fucking chaos noise going on, you know. So I don't I don't know. Um because I think at that point I had been it was one of those times where it would be like every few months it would flare off and I'd be like, you know, having to use a cane for a week or something. But because I am taking such a step back from you know the rehearsal and regiment of practicing drums at that kind of velocity. Um, you know the pain wasn't consistent, is what I'm getting at. So as far as being influenced by the pain, I don't know. That could have had something to do with it, but I think it was more a sense of just pushing the, like sonic pain <laughs> to the to however. Far I can push it at that time with the gear and the techniques that I was using, um, which obviously snowballed as it, as it went. But uh, yeah, so I, I guess pain does have to do with it in a weird way.
1: Okay, uh, be- before we move on from Custodian and from talking about uh, your, your experimental noise, we talked about how your how your drum kit got scaled down over time. Um yes. can you talk a little bit about the gear that you that you use for noise and what you started out using and maybe how that setup has evolved?
3: Yeah, so
2: the very first thing I ever did with noise was a microphone jammed into a jammed into a jar full of change into two back metal pedals into a speaker. That's I, that was like I think I was like, I don't know, I had to be like 97 or something. And then it evolved to, you know, using synths and samplers. And this is all a long process, to where I had a definitive setup with Custodian. Um, it changed every day. It was just like, I'll try this pedal with that pedal. You start learning, for example, when you're setting up noise, you have your, your sound source, let's say a synthesizer. And then you have your distortion pedal, let's say. And then a delay. So you learn tricks, like, you know, if I have the delay after the synth and then into the distortion, it has a certain sound and I can only do certain things with it. But let's say I put the distortion pedal before the delay in the chain. Now I can turn on and off the distortion and get bursts of noise that that echo. So you start learning these like pedal chain little things and how you want to manipulate it. so the ending, the ending to that all, um, as far as like my custodian setup, it was um, so it differed from recording at home to live because I used um, my sound source was a piece of sheet metal um, with a contact microphone on it and run through a couple of mixers just to totally destroy the signal. And, you know, a couple of EQs, um, a Boss bass distortion, and whatever. So I'd source my sounds like that. But then I would capture those sounds into loops on a a Boss loop station pedal. So then live, I would take that pedal with all my...
0: Sorry, that's my dog. I'm going to move her real quick. She's going crazy.
1: Usually the dog sleeps through the entire interview, but I guess somebody just... Walked up to the house or something, maybe.
0: Yeah, sorry, sorry about that.
1: Okay, no, um, no, no. The dog wasn't barking at you. We're sorry. Uh, we we got <laughs> we to we remember to lock the dog out of the studio. I'm sorry. So you were you were talking about your uh, your different setups for um, custodian?
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. So basically, uh, just to sum it up, I, I had uh, all my pre-recorded sounds in a in a loop Station uh, pedal, and then I had a couple of various. Uh, the Korg um, PX4 it's a little like pocket sized multi um, effects multi-effects processor I used one of those and I would cut and paste loops with that and the loop station and kind of like sound collage with because live I used so much signal like overloaded signal that if I would have that microphone exposed at the volume of a live show I wouldn't be able to do anything it would just go it would just be feedback because there was just too much so I kind of had to go to a closed source live to be able to pull off what my recording sounded like. So I had, I had two different setups, really. I had my recording and then I had my live setup. So it only took like 12 years to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and, and how much time does it take to figure out and experiment with the, the MIDI pads that you started using?
2: Mm. Oh Well, I started doing that, I think, in like 2012 um, I saw a guy on YouTube um, Called David Haynes And he's a, he's a jazz drummer And uh, he's, a, he's an actual kit player As well as a finger drummer But his story was when he was a kid His family couldn't afford a drum set so, his brother bought a uh, Alesis drum machine, and he learned how to play drums on his drum machine, like just playing the buttons. So, but I saw him, and I was like, you know, when I saw that video, when I first saw that dude, I was just kind of like, dude, <laughs> this is my instrument. Like, I love drum machines, I love electronics, I love drums, I can't play drums. Now I could. Mm -hmm. So it was like this revelation to me, and I was like, this dude's playing like crazy jazz solos and shit with his hand on a, you know, MIDI pad, MIDI controller. I was like, I could do that, but I'm going to do it death metal. (laughs) I'm (laughs) going to play blasts with this thing.
1: So yeah,
2: it was, was, you know, and that was kind of the same process as um, figuring out my noise setup for my, you know, for the custodian recordings. It was like, okay... How do I route, you know, I think my first setup was just an old um, Akai uh, MIDI controller, and I had it hooked up via MIDI to obviously via MIDI, being a MIDI controller. Getting more redundant here. Um, Yeah, I I just hooked that up to, uh, I believe I had a D5 and a Lisa's D5. And then I just assigned the sounds, you know, and then I basically had to invent uh, a layout that, was, that would make sense to play death metal on, um, mm-hmm. you know? And there's the, I could, I mean, I'd, I'd have to fucking like draw you guys' diagrams and show you finger positionings and, you know, because if you think about, you know, just think about your like typical, like fast thrash beat with a double time hi hat. You know, you're not gonna go with your left, let, let's say with your left hand, you're playing the chicken snare going, just doing a, a thrash alternation, you know? There's no way with your right hand, you're tapping double time on a, a midi pad because there's no rebound, <laughs> you know? So I figured out how to mirror it. So I had whatever I had on the, the left two rows, I had a mirror image on the right two rows of fast. So I was playing like combinations, so just to go like, uh, looks like fast 16th notes on the ride cymbal. You know, you're not tapping it at 280 or whatever, whatever BPM. That's another thing I never really got into, is like click tracks and BPMs and all that shit. It's like whatever. Um, yeah, so I basically had to figure out a layout where it could be feasible to divide, you know, singular parts into two-handed patterns. And it was just, it was. A long 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 process
1: I can <laughs> I wish I
2: yeah. I wish I could like explain it to you better but it's it's uh, yeah it's uh it's total nerd territory right. and it's impossible. it's really impossible to describe the setup without
3: a visual going through,
2: being too long winded and you know it, people wouldn't be able to visualize what I'm saying it's just it was a pain in the ass but it was super fun it and I
1: loved it. It doesn't know? sound it doesn't sound like something you can really describe over the phone. It sounds like we would need a, a video or to be there in person. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean and for anyone who um uh, is kind of confused right now, we can definitely source you to the Broderican live video. Is it from 2015? Um you, you guys came back and played some shows? Yeah, that sounds about right.
2: 2015.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, or 2015-16. And, um, so did you start experimenting with these MIDI drums and get a handle on it and then contact brought it in or how, how did the, the reunion shows come about?
2: Well, it was, it was such a roundabout, um, way of reconnecting with, uh, Jamie and Mike, um, basically, um I got, Maddie and I were not in contact for many years, as as well as me, you know, uh, being out of contact with Mike and Jamie, but, uh, yeah, Maddie and I reconnected, I don't don't remember the circumstances or whatever, but I had, um, at that time, I was doing, like, more ambient stuff, uh, a frequent sleep project, I don't know if you... Yeah, saw that name pop up anyway. Um,
1: Frequent sleep, yes. Frequent, like, like like frequency. It's like two words in one. Just for the listeners, right? Check that out. Frequent sleep. Yeah.
2: Right. So, I was talking to Maddie, and you know, we were like, "Oh yeah, man what have you been up to?" This and that. And uh, that's when I sent Maddie some frequent sleep stuff, and uh, he was starting his like film productions around that time. What I can gather or recall. And then, you know, um, through the collaboration on that, um, we started talking about doing like the disembowelment type of like super slow project and that's kind of what liturgy AD was, even though that was short lived. Um, and through that, um, in the process, uh, the liturgy record was going to be reissued And then that's when I got back in contact with uh, Jamie. So yeah, basically, um, you know, through getting back in contact with, with Maddie, um, that's how ball started rolling and we got reconnected or I got reconnected with Mike and Jamie and, you know, I don't know how it came up, but, um, I brought up, um, the finger drumming thing and I think I sent Jamie or Mike or both of them a video of that noise car project that I was finger drumming in called Earth.
1: Mm-hmm. and I, I did um, want to talk about uh, Earth, but, but go on we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute
2: so yeah it was like you know we, we all kind of made amends and
1: everything was like fucking back to
2: being you know 2002 everything was hyped and cool and um Yeah, they were surprising me. Like, yeah, that finger drumming thing's pretty killer. We should should see what you can do with that. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, like, Roddick and stuff? And I was like surprised that they'd even be like interested in that. Not to say Mike and Jamie aren't smart, like open-minded dudes. You know, because you know, bless those dudes for taking a chance on it. You know, most other metal bands would be like, "Fuck no, you're not playing a fucking typewriter on stage or whatever the fuck it is you're doing."
1: <laughs> typewriter. It, I like it. It's um, I mean, it, it's definitely something that you gotta uh, step outside the box a little bit to, to, to picture before you know, before you jam with it. Yeah, no, for sure. But you know,
2: they were happy with the way it sounded. I, you know, it was a little bit awkward, but. You know, we worked through it, and uh, yeah, they were on board with it. So I was like, "Fuck it, man! I, I, am cool with it." You know, obviously, and you know, that's that's one thing is uh, you know, it was like, wow, you know, we, we have jam, and it was decipherable because that was always like the Brodick and Curse was playing live was you know, it's like a mudslide, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're playing our asses off, but it sounds two steps from anal cunt, you know what I mean? Because it was just, you know, berserk material. So it was like, it was the first time where it was like, dude, like, we can hear everything. And it sounds like, yeah,
0: I mean, you can hear the
2: riffs now, the song structures pop a little more. It's clearer, you know, and so I I was stoked. I was like, man, you know, I think this sounds really good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that was. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I apologize. I would just because uh, you know we I watched. Um, there's a few videos on YouTube of you performing with Brodekin with the MIDI drums, with the finger drums. Uh, yes, yeah. it's, it's really impressive. It like and and something that I noticed was you know you you you, you answered the question before about the influence of, of drum programmed bands like Agoraphobic Nosebleed on your drumming style. Uh, yeah. And and it's like kind of like you you almost said it before like. Like you get to this point where you're like, well, I love the sound of drum machines. The drum machines influenced my style. I can't play drums because of this pain I'm in, and it's it's almost like, uh, like like you know, necessity is the is the mother of invention. You know, it's like it's like death metal uh, percussion just evolved in in that minute. You know, where you had that light bulb in your head. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, and again, yeah, it, it felt very. Um, I mean, I was so like enthusiastic about it because I was so like. Yeah, this is kind of a culmination of everything I'm into. <laughs> you know what I mean? Electronics, drum machines, drumming. You know, doing something outside of the box. You know, and I always, you know, I always kind of was a button pusher in a way. Like when it came to my like drum setup, like I almost enjoyed when I set up my kit at a at a death metal show, and I set up this little thing, <laughs> and some and some asshole has to make a comment about it. He's like you're yeah, a nice muppet kid animal, and I'm like, yeah, just wait. You
1: know,
2: yeah, animal (laughs) was sick. Yeah, animal was fucking ridiculous. Um, No, I mean, I just so it. I guess maybe that was one of my uh, issues that I had with all the heat that I got from doing that because I was like, man, I think this sounds killer. I think this is interesting as a musician. I find this interesting. I'm sure other musicians will find it interesting, but it was like, you know, I guess it was just too like awkward for people to look at I mean you know uh, I'm someone that has been involved with music for so long that I go see a band and I can become disinterested just by seeing the band I know that sounds shallow and fucking shitty but it's like, dude, I've seen this so many times. Like do something that inter- interests you. Like do a little do a little something different. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. So if, as a fan, I was like, Oh, I think this is gonna be cool but uh, other people you <laughs> know <laughs> most of the scene did not see it that way, unfortunately. But, you know, it is what it is. Very I, I in ret- in retrospect I totally get why people thought it was fucking stupid. But um you know. it,
1: well it's it's ignorant to me because um I think if people, and hopefully, you know, that's something that I hope that maybe if anything comes of of people hearing this podcast is people will understand the full story leading up to you using the MIDI drums uh, and what exactly the MIDI drums entails. Because the MIDI drums, it's not like you're sitting there in front of like your your boss uh, DR-202 or whatever and just press and play on a pre-programmed beat. It's it's it's, a, it's an electronic percussion instrument itself,
2: right? And I, I, I think a lot of people, or maybe a good good section of people, thought maybe that I was just triggering loops, or yeah. I would hit one I would hit one pad and it would just auto roll or something. No, it's like I played that shit note for note. And the thing that I so my I have a couple of things to say about about that. About the drum pad, if you, if you don't mind, real quick. No, um, pl-
1: please do, because I would like you to dispel any disinformation or um, you know misunderstandings about what, what what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, it, there was no loops, there was no roles programmed
2: in, there was no programming. it was 100% live playing, and because of the setup that I was using, I'm sure I could have gotten more advanced with it, but the setup that I was using, I can't, I couldn't multi-track. So if I were to record with it, it would go on stereo left and right. So with that being said, you know how it is if you're in the studio. You can go in, you could erase your kick drum tracks and program them in, or play them, turn your kick drum on the side and play the fucking thing with your hand. You know, you could overdub. I could not overdub. It was it was one take, if I fucked up, it start over. You can't quantize them. You can't cut and paste because it's all just left and right. You have all the instruments, you know, Summed it's like, it was like...
0: Two outputs, yeah, you're left and right, and there's no going back yeah. in and messing with any stems. So, you're, yeah, yeah you're, you're, really, you're, you're really playing the rawest thing you can for a pad instrument like that.
2: Yeah, and, you know, the, I guess why I didn't understand the hatred for it was, okay, I'm playing, like, everyone loves to watch Future Piles, everyone, everyone loves to watch you know agoraphobic nosebleed and hideous mm-hmm. decrepancy and you know like sick fuck and you know people people big drum machine bands, yeah, it's what it is. But sure. so I'm like, well, you know, there's so many drum machine bands now people you know, they gotta you know, I, I think the the book is open far enough, you know we're we're f- we're far into the middle of this drum machine novel where I can come out and play the drum machine. And it's not gonna, you know, no one's gonna think twice about it. But there's, I guess, I don't know, something about the visual just fucked with people too much, or something.
0: Yeah, it's like a, you know, it's a knee jerk reaction that people have. People don't know what it is. That's like how it goes with everything, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, and for me, coming from, you know, many years of experimental music and going to noise shows and even going back to you know my first favorite band ever you know Devo you know you watch old Devo videos and they're all standing there playing you know the guy doesn't even have a drum set he's standing there playing on a row of four rubber pads as a kid I didn't fucking get that I was like okay that's weird but it was it was always it was because maybe Devo and because maybe experimental and drum machine I it didn't even phase me as being odd you know, it wasn't, it wasn't until everyone else pointed out to me that it was odd that I was like, oh yeah, maybe this is kind of fucking weird. <laughs> you know
3: what I mean?
2: For me, it was like just, it. for me, man, it was just like, this is, you know, I'm playing an instrument. I didn't view it as anything else than that, mm-hmm. so.
1: I, I think that that speaks to the visionary quality of using the MIDI pads. Um, because you, you used that analogy that we're kind of like halfway into the the drum machine novel. We know what's going on, right? I think you're yeah. a few chapters ahead of everybody. Um, and, and something I wanted to bring up quickly, because uh, we do want to be respectful of your time... Uh, but, but I just wanted to ask you on this MIDI pad conversation, we're in an era now where increasingly uh, actual drummers and uh, drum recordings on death metal albums are sounding like drum machines because of the rate of triggers and quantizing and sound replacing that goes on. Do you feel right. that what you're doing is kind of like maybe in a way with cutting out the middleman or just stepping it up uh, and, and jumping ahead a few years? Uh, and and getting a, like doing away with some unnecessary steps, like like by just taking it to the MIDI pads now instead of playing like an overly quantized triggered kit.
3: Um,
2: I mean, I, I can see the parallel for sure, um, and there are some comparisons that could you know be made and you know debated. Um, but I feel actually because of the level of quantizing and because drummers can punch in and punch out smoothly because, you know, their drums are all on different tracks and some are mic'd and blended with trigger sounds. You have a lot of, you have tons of leeway. And I listen to death metal records now, and a lot of the reason why I don't listen to a lot of new death metal records is because, so when, back when Mortician had a drum machine, you knew they had a drum machine right? Now, you watch like a, a video of a new band, and being a drummer, you hear the production, and then they show the drummer playing in the video, and you go, his <laughs> snare drum doesn't sound like that, look at how fucking light he's hitting it. Not like yeah. I care about light or heavy hit, I never cared about like, well you don't shit hard, so you're not a drummer. Like I never gave a shit about that. But when you can see the difference, it's like, okay, this is supposed to be a real drummer. Yeah. But that's not what I'm hearing. Yeah. You know, I thought, I thought what I was doing with the MIDI pad. I was like, okay, here's 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 me being totally transparent in mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I'm I'm not I'm not a drummer. That's replacing everything and triggering, you know, retriggering, cutting and pasting. You know, oh, I watched that kick drum roll. Just take that fucking two second section and copy and paste it through that section until, you know, whatever bar, you know. It's like, I couldn't do that. So I was I was basically being honest, going, okay, this is what I'm playing. I'm not gonna act like I'm doing anything different. You know? So I was like, you know, I, I felt like it was more honest than what a lot of, you know, quote-unquote drummers, real drummers, are doing.
1: Talk that shit.
2: So... In, in that sense, I just, I just thought, you know, you know, I, I thought it was, I thought I approached it in a way where, you know, um, people weren't going to be, I'm not going to trick you. I'm not going to fucking program the drums for my record and then live, like, kind of just half ass be able to play it because you can't really play it live. It's like, well, you know, here I am. I'm standing here in front of a dipshit looking pad but this is what I do I'm not gonna fucking fake it you know I thought I was being honest you know what I mean I feel like there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of dishonesty in the studio these
3: days (laughs) that's why
2: records that's why records sound like plastic there's no there's no vibe to really much anymore it's like you hear a you know it's like as a musician you know hey man the drummer is you know, he's playing super fast. That's why you can't hear a snare drum as much. Like he goes into a slow part, and bam, there's a snare drum because you have time to beat the shit out of it. Now, you know, yes. you, you don't hear that, and you don't hear that on records
1: anymore, really. No, and I'm. This is your interview, so I'm going to let you talk. But this is. I would be ranting about this on on another episode, probably right now, because I'm <laughs> on the same same page as you. Um, and we, you know, as I said before, we want to be respectful of your time. Um, I just wanted to ask you quickly, uh, as we finish up, your band, um, you pronounce it differently than I would before. It's U-R-T-H for the listeners. How do you pronounce it?
2: Well, yeah, it's uh, its actually stupid. It's, uh, everyone says it's Earth, because that's what it looks like. But it's actually Earth because uh, me and the other guy in the band, we're making jokes about urethras.
3: <laughs>
2: um and then we started, we shortened it to Yerthi, you know, it's like, oh dude, jam this up your Yerthi, blah blah, you know, just stupid shit. So then it, so then it ended up getting shortened to yearth. So it's like,
1: it's yearth as in urethra. I'm never going to hear Mother Earth the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> th- this is, you, you play the MIDI drums the way we've been discussing in this band? Yes. Okay, and um, and this is more of like a really brutal, harsh, noisy, gore, grindish uh, type of project. It, that's how I would describe it. Yeah,
2: and um, another aspect to it is we never had. We played a couple of live shows. We have a uh, a recording. Um, uh, I don't know how many million song recording on grind records. But we never had a guitar player. I controlled. <laughs> this was a very deep end, I guess, for me being, you know, stupidly inventive to a crippling degree of my own <laughs> whatever people like. Um, yeah, we didn't have a guitar player. I controlled the guitar riffs with, uh, with my feet on looping pedals. So basically, I had. I took a a bass guitar and I programmed, or not programmed, I made a bunch of loops of just like anal cunt, like blur riffs. And every five or six loop locations, I would throw in like some gut style, you know, polka, gore grind, tupa part, you know. So I basically just improv drums, improv stops and starts, much like old anal cunt did. When they were just doing blur, they just kind of looked at each other like, we gonna stop? Stop now back into it, you know. So yeah, it was improv yeah. rupture, all that stuff, and then eventually I'd flip to a like a you know, poker grind riff and just do the two for a little bit and then back into total just blur. So yeah, all the all the all the guitars I would just do with a looper on with my feet. So when we'd play live I would play the, the guitars with my foot, more or less. Play the midi drums over it and then I just had a, a my friend jim was on vocals wow so yeah it was just two of us
1: that's not what i and that was you. like
2: total yeah it's just total electronics but in a sense where i can use electronics to improv you know, like noise grinder it's yeah. like electronic anal cunt but still played
1: yeah, yeah, and, and I, I got to go back and listen to this now, knowing that, um, because the, I mean, the bass, I just figured it was through so many distortion effects that, that you couldn't tell what it was. That's crazy, man. And we're talking about the Enema of the Music Business album uh, that's on the- Yes, group. Enemas of the Music Business, Will Thank Spoof you. Off, a home death. Yeah, of course, Enemas of the Music Business by uh, the, the band Yurth, U-R-T-H. Uh, highly recommended. You can you can listen to that on the Goat Grind Records Bandcamp page, like I did, and like I'm going to now, knowing how how crazy that process is for the the, um, the, the playing of the guitars, uh, the bass guitars. Um, yeah, now.
2: I actually uh, when we get off the phone here, and I'll send you um, I'll send you guys a couple video links, it's just a, a couple of uh, clips we played at Noise Fest here in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can see you can see that it's just two people, and I'm just doing the. The the riffs with my foot, <laughs> just turning them off, switching them around, yeah. improvising, drums over the top. Hell yeah! You
1: know, yeah. We're we're going to be sharing a couple of videos from YouTube and things like that uh, with the social media when this episode comes out, just so people can actually oh, cool. see, uh, you know, an example of the MIDI drumming and and that's and this and you know whatever you're going to show us. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. So with Yurth, is there anything coming out, or just in general, maybe just take a minute to, to let us know about any, any projects or anything that you have coming up on the horizon uh, before we ask you to recommend some albums?
2: Um, you know, I, I'm to the point in my life where, I mean, I don't, I don't use social media. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. There's a saturation in the market. So many bands doing so many things at great abundance where even the most hardcore of people can't keep up. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm to the point in my life where I have finally relaxed to the point where I can just make music for myself for fun. And I'm not so concerned just because there's so much. Like I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go on Facebook because the only reason I ever really had Facebook was to, you know, more or less keep in contact with a few people but, you know, mainly it was like, well, I got to promote my project somehow because, you know, no one visits websites. You know, it's just like, if you're not on Facebook or Twitter, you're just like, you're, you know, in a dark garage somewhere, <laughs> like, detached <laughs> from life.
1: It's true. Yeah. And
2: it's like, you know, I don't I don't like the hustle of it anymore. Um, so as far as anything that I have coming up that I can say is absolutely concrete, um, yeah, I got, a, I got a tape coming up. Um with you know, some experimental stuff. Um, I mean, I could bore you with names of like similar styles of projects. but I mean I can I can get you guys, you know um, links as as that stuff develops. Okay. Um, I'm actually talking to Paulo, um, our friend Paulo yeah, about sure. doing a release on his label mm-hmm. um, of some industrial noise stuff. Kind of in the vein of like H Rex, Morgue, Italian Death in, Industrial type of, you know, creepy, dark ambient, borderline harsh stuff. Um, but I actually, um, I guess the only thing that I can say as far as like keeping up with stuff that I'm doing because it's ever changing. Dolly is different gear. Dolly's a different style just because I. You know, I'm not tied down to anything, so I can just be as creative as I want, which is, you know, I find to be refreshing. Um, I do not have anything loaded up to it yet, um, but I have uh, plans. Well, it's already up. It's I, On SoundCloud, it's John Engen Music. Okay, I'll just put it that way. There's nothing on it yet, so I have to go through my years of all my different projects, and pick and choose tracks that I want to put up there. But once I get that up, I'm going to start placing new things as they go and it might be Cthulhu, it might be Frequent Sleep, I might resurrect Custodian for a track or two. You know, I'm just doing what I want, having fun, and not really looking to release anything. You know, I'll put it on my SoundCloud or maybe I'll start a new Bandcamp page eventually. And I'm just going to upload individual tracks of any style, any genre, any range of instrumentation. I just, you know, it's kind of a free-for-all at this point for me, so I'm going to embrace that and not, like, bore myself with, you know, sticking to just one thing because I'm too, you know, I'm all over the place as far as taste and, what I like to play, instrumentation, whatever. So, yeah, John Engman music. By the time this uh, interview, you know, gets posted, I'm sure I'll have some stuff up on there. But awesome. it's been up for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I haven't put up anything on it.
1: Though, so. Well, cur- curating takes a, a while, I'm, I'm sure, man. Um, but we'll. Right, but, right. but yeah, well, you know, anyone who's interested to hear what. Uh, well, you've got to you can check out that SoundCloud or they could check out that, that Yurth uh, album on Goat Grind Records um, and keep their eyes open uh, this is the this yeah and and you know
2: any of the any of the bands we mentioned you know it's 2019 you know you can find it on YouTube
1: yeah it's true <laughs> yeah, it's true you know
2: if you want to hear some c some Brodican some Custodian you know you got the names Type them into YouTube, you
1: will find it. It's all there. That's what I did to research this uh, this episode. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but, uh, but it, it comes in very handy. Um, and and speaking of researching uh, bands on the internet, that's something our listeners do a lot. So we wanted to ask you as the guest to to recommend one older album. We usually go fifteen years older, but it's not like strict rules. Uh, and one newer album that's come out in the last few years um, to recommend to the listeners.
2: Well, unfortunately, it is as far as uh, metal goes I, I, I don't really have much in the <laughs> much new to uh report on but um if you don't mind i, I would like to uh, recommend a very fantastic noise record if anyone's interested in dipping into some <laughs> you know power electronics um, go, yeah, yeah
1: absolutely talk about it yeah
2: it's a uh, it's a tape cassette release on uh, no-rent records. You can look them up on Bandcamp. Um, but the, the project is called Deturge. That's D-E-T-E-R-G-E. Deturge. And the name of the record is One for the Gipper. Okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I love uh, that name.
2: Yeah. And it's uh, it's a noise released um, power electronics noise industrial, whatever you like to call it. Um, and the, the concept of the record is Regonomics. So you'll see the cover, and you're going to be like, what the fuck is this? But you're going to play it, and it's going to bother you. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's all over the map as far as, you know, it's got, it's got structured things. It's got, I mean, it's, it's, it's a sonic palette. Every vocal in every track is a different kind of effect, a different delivery, different style of vocal, all processed through electronics. But the thing I like about it, being a noise fan for many years and knowing the, the guy who is Deterge um, is brilliant. It's, uh, it's it's disturbing. It's um, when the vocals come in, you don't really know when you're ex- when to expect the vocals because it's noise. There's not a lot of rhythm. It's just you know, it's kind of free flowing. It has structure, but it's not too too concrete. Um, but yeah, the vocal styles come in and they catch you off guard and it makes you feel uneasy and the tones are uneasy. it's just it's a and along with the bizarre kind of artwork and topic of the record, it's just it just makes for a, a really unique and for me, you know kind of a disturbing talent um, sound uh, and that's that's saying a lot because I've been listening to creepy stuff for many many years and uh yeah i just find this particular release like really strikingly you know it always throws you a curve you, you kind of get comfortable with it for a second and some weird vocal style comes in and you kind of go Ugh, <laughs>
3: that's
2: kind of fucked up sounding you know what i mean so yeah it's i it's one of the best noise releases i've heard and you know a very 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 long time I I highly recommend it might be too out there for the first dabbler into noise but uh yeah it's yeah it's the thing within the last year where I was like wow this is fucking
1: incredible (laughs) the the listeners might be ready we've talked about noise uh, before on the program I think it's time to just push them in Uh, so that's yeah yeah that's Deterge and it's called One for the Gipper yes sir okay man about a, an older uh, album it doesn't have to be metal it could just be anything that you want to recommend to people
2: yeah you know I, I struggled with uh, you know because I know you guys do the new and old thing you know but what I, what I want to do for the the, uh, the old record is uh, I want to do something like it's death metal but it's a little bit abstract it's a band from Latvia called brute chant have you heard this band
1: I, I gotta admit, you caught me out here. I haven't heard of Brute Chant.
2: Brute Chant, um, the, they're from, like I said, they're from Latvia, um, and they put out one record. It's called Killer. Each of you, okay? Um, this this record is such a like oddball. Um, it has elements of like you know, like the quirky old death metal bands, like uh, like it's got like a ton of like disharmonic orchestra type of feel. Um, there's a little demlick thrown in, um, do, do you know that one Convulse record that no one likes besides me, um, um, what the hell is the name of that record, I love the record and I'm just drawing a blank right now, Reflections.
1: Okay, a oh, Reflections, okay.
2: Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't know if you've heard that record, that's another one I could recommend, it's just so out there, but um. It has elements of that where it's kind of got that like mid period, like Zizma kind of groovy grind, kind of hippie grind. (laughs) I don't even know how to describe it. But yeah, it's uh, the brute champ is it's all over the map, it's got like crazy, like sometimes like primacy type of bass lines. Um, It's got weird timings, weird song structures, but overall it kind of retains, you know, that like European death metal vibe in like a very bizarre way. And it's, it's just a totally, it's a totally great record. I came across... One of the songs on, like, I think it was like an Extreme Music comp. That that Spanish label, Extreme Music, right? Okay. Spanish. Yeah.
1: There. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what time I hit, but
2: okay. Yeah, but I, I heard I heard um, one of the songs, one of their songs, on that comp. So I had to search search for the record. Came out on some weird label called Father Productions. It's like super out there, but yeah, if you like. You know, if you're into like Exit 13, where they like jump from style to style. If you like mid-period Zizma, disharmonic orchestra, ooh, good one, Demolic, orchestra, yeah. All that kind of, you know, and the, but the vocals are are strange. They're like they're like total like benediction, David Ingram, like that kind of more like hey! kind of like piratey stuff. It's yeah. not like guttural. But it's just like, the bass player is mental, the the riffs are super angular, but oh man, it's just it's a, such a different record, and I, I want to push that out there for people to check out, because I feel like it's uh, one of those things, like when Obscura came out, for example, everyone was like, what the fuck are Gorgas doing? Yeah.
1: And now everyone loves that shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow, I gotta, so it, I gotta it,
2: look it,
0: into this. A bunch of our listeners will sink their teeth into it, and we'll... We yeah. got a brute chant revival here.
1: Yeah, if nothing else. Yeah, dude. Like a brute chant. I, I, chant. Think it's, I think it's the third
2: song. I'm trying to, I think it's like the song's called like Olympiad or something really bizarre. And it's just like, uh, it's just that song. Just like the drummer does these. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to ruin the surprise, <laughs> but the fantastic, fantastic, totally off the radar, weird Latvian fucking like. I don't know, like mishmash of weird extremities, and I think anyone that's into stuff that's slightly off the beaten path will hear it and be like, "It, it sounds like it could come out tomorrow." This is what I'm getting, at, you know.
1: I mean, when you say Demolich and Disharmonic Orchestra, I got to check it out right then and there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I hope you dig it.
2: Absolutely, there are there are some there are some parts in it where you're like, "Man, that sounds a little new metal," but. Mm -hmm. you know mostly in the bass where it's like he starts slapping and you're like man that's kind of like marginally corn and i don't know if i'm done with this but overall man it's it's fucking so
1: cool such a good record nobody's fieldy but fieldy wow so all right so that's brute chant and the album is killers each of you that's correct all right man definitely gotta check that out John, we really appreciate your time and we appreciate you calling into the podcast and telling us your story Um, and I'm glad that we at least got to uh, have you give your side of things and and explain to people what exactly is going on in the MIDI drums because as you said, people were very unfair with you Um, so... That being said, you said you're kind of just enjoying your freedom nowadays to not necessarily be tied down to projects, and and you're uh, you're putting up that SoundCloud page. Is there any message that you just want to uh, leave uh, for listeners and fans of your music?
2: I mean, I don't have any slogans to uh, <laughs> you know yell at anyone, but but uh, I guess for my final thought, I just want to you know say that I'm honored that you guys feel that you know what I've done with my music is relevant enough for you know, an interview on your podcast. I mean, I, I'm, I'm extremely honored. Um, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. I think, you know, when when you get an opportunity like this, you kind of feel good about the shit you've done. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really hypercritical on myself, but, you know, obviously there's people out there that, that enjoy what I've done, and, man, that makes me feel, you know, fantastic. So thank you guys, like, so much for that. Like, so cool. <laughs> you know, it makes me feel validated. It makes all those years of putting time in, you know, you, you don't get the money, you know, it's not for kudos, but, you know, it's it's nice to feel that what you've done is, is validated and, you know, I, I just appreciate you guys giving me the chance to talk and, you know, I, I'm, I'm very honored, so thank you guys.
0: You're welcome, man, and we're fans, you know. We wouldn't have you on the show if we weren't. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we want to share your work with other people and our listeners, so we
1: do appreciate
2: we're calling in, man. Yeah, man, my, like I said, my honor and pleasure is all mine, so I, I really appreciate it
1: absolutely john and uh, when when you when and if you choose to uh, have a new project out or a new band or something man let us know we'll definitely hype it up and we'll even get you back for um for more talking man uh, uh but just for now thank you so much john engman for uh sharing your story and your time with us man we really appreciate it best
2: of luck with the podcast it's fantastic you guys are doing great work i'm i'm sure you know you guys got ideas coming up and you know i'm on board with all this i'm 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 listening so yeah
1: Thanks again. Awesome, brother. We'll talk to you later, John. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, dude.
1: John Engman. Wow. Yeah,
0: we learned a lot about um, really the industrious nature that this dude has for continuing to play drums and making music, but in a totally obscure and
1: uh, original way. Yeah, a real real proactive attitude, man. Guys just uh, trying different instruments, different styles. And uh, I never realized that the black metal and the drum programming-based grindcore had such a impact and influence on his drumming style in Brodickin. It makes a lot of sense, but I found that really interesting, man. So yeah, really good talking to John Engman tonight. We appreciate his time.
0: Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. Hit us up on the social medias. Uh, Google that shit. Heavy your podcast. We're not doing this. We we got the
1: Facebook. We got the Twitter. We got the, uh, we got MySpace, right? Oh no, what's the other one we got? Instagram. My bad. We're on the IG. Come on. I was joking, kids. Uh, I, I, I know what IG is. Alright. Yeah. yeah. Do the whole oh what's the number? They might want to call us. Voicemail
0: line is six three one eight three seven three two seven four. Hit us up,
1: let us know. Yeah, every whole podcast. Bing bong. Thank you.